Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Josh Evans. And I'm Brett Chisholm. On today's episode, we talk about sky jays and high winds, plus an influential example of bravery in the face of mortal fear. It happened when I was six. And then we both dream about a world where all of our disagreements are settled with epic music battles, which result in the losers exploding into a shower of gold coins. Think about how that would have solved our overpopulation problems, Thanos. Brett levels up his relationship and content game with the underrated and eccentric Edgar Wright masterpiece, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Movies, shows, and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Brett, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing freaking awesome. I think I had one of those fun weekends uh, of my freaking life. Freaking awesome, huh? Yeah, buddy. Yeah, what'd you do? Uh, did did the river float again with my uh, two Airstream neighbors I've been talking so much about, the Bakers. Um, Airstream Alley. That's right, Airstream Alley. So they're they're kind of like hitting the road. And then uh, Byron and his girlfriend came out and uh, floated the river as well with us. So we had six people on four stand-up paddle boards, two dogs as well, like going through like legit rapids on the Gunnison. And then uh, just this morning, Byron and I did uh, two skydives. I'm actually thinking of rebranding the term to uh, uh, sky falling because it's more of a... More uh, of a fall than a jump or a or a dive. It's a it's a sky J, J a sky short J. for jump. That's, hey, you guys want to bust out work. some sky J's? I mean, do you, you, dude, you, I, I love Byron, but that was awesome. Oh my god, Byron's the best man. He's one of my one of my closest friends for sure. And our he, good friend Byron from the skydiving and wind tunnel community. That's right, and he can he can zip fly like a boss, dude. I think that's really the mark of a good free flyer. Because once you learn to fly head down, everybody wants to fly head down. But sit flying, like if you can sit fly really well, uh, it's just impressive to me. I I am definitely not as strong of a sit flyer as a lot of like really good free flyers out there, man. And he's Byron is awesome. He's great. And, and for anyone who is unclear and not not versed in the world of skydiving, sit flying is where you're flying towards the earth feet first. And I mean, you're in a seated position, so it's very unaerodynamic. You've got your legs all splayed akimbo beneath you. It's catching a lot of wind. All your weight is up high. So it's definitely not a position that's really meant to fly. So anybody that's good at it is usually a boss, like Brett said. Yeah, and but I'm surprised I'm not good at it because I, I do do a lot of sit-sitting. It's a very comfortable position for me. You're very sedentary. That's Life of a podcaster. <laughs> like a true contentologist. Yeah. I do all my podcasting from a standing living desk. It's just a tree growing out of the floor in my office. I have all my crap propped up on. <laughs> I, I would look, how about next week we record a, head, a heads down podcast? Like a head rush podcast? Just That's like right. eyes all bloodshot at the end? Yeah, definitely like pass out through the middle of it. Well, dude, I had crazy incident yesterday. I guess I wouldn't call it an incident because no one was injured, but an occurrence while skydiving. So 
I was jumping uh, out here in Colorado. I was kind of out on the plains. And when you get out like far away from the mountains, the winds can definitely be like squirrely. Like they can just pick up and start going crazy. So in skydiving, you typically have like a wind cutoff of about 24 knots, which is about 28 miles an hour. And there's a little bit of leeway with that. I mean, I've jumped in winds up to 30 miles an hour before. So we're in the plane. Typically, if there's any issue, they'll radio up and tell you not to jump. So we, you know, we get the go ahead. We climb out of the plane. We jump. Right as we leave the plane, a call comes in from the ground saying, call it off, call it off. Don't let him go. Which we didn't get because we're in free fall. So jump goes well, open up parachutes great start flying back and i'm like man i'm having a hard time getting back to the landing area and then i look down and i can see in the landing area there are these wind blades which are basically just like these like 10 foot tall flags and they're like laid over at horizontal and i was like oh man this is gonna be spicy landing so i i'm jumping a very small canopy 79 square feet it's built for speed like you dive it at the ground it can easily reach speeds of you know 90 miles an hour So I just do like a turn, dive, build up speed. And as I go to plane out to land, I just feel it's like running into a brick wall. Like the the wind is hitting me so hard. And I flare, which is what you do to slow your parachute down. So I flare and right as I do, my canopy gets lift, starts going backwards. And I can just feel, it, it feels like somebody's blasting me in the face of the wind tunnel. And so lower it down to the ground, just get it on the ground, turn around, the canopy inflates behind me and starts pulling me and I'm running downwind with this crazy wind at my back. Finally, collapse the canopy, get it all under control. Okay, everything's good. Get back to the get back to the packing hangar and they tell me that the winds hit 45 miles an hour as we were landing, which is it's half as additional speed of what I've ever landed in like my fastest or my highest wind speed. So like if I land at 30 miles an hour, it's half faster than that. 45 miles an hour. It's totally insane. It was, uh, it was spicy, Brett. It, uh, yeah. Wow. That sounds spicy. Were there any like inexperienced skydivers on that load? Not inexperienced, but there were some people with, you know, four or 500 jumps. Like some people landed canopies land behind them and inflate and start dragging them across the field. A tandem landed out on the taxiway, which is, you know, like the concrete area. And I could see them just getting drug on the rig, which I don't think it did too much damage. But it was definitely tearing up the skydiving gear a little bit. And people came back a little bruised and battered. I mean, it was it was insane, man. I was really, really stoked to get on the ground and be safe at the end of that one. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty crazy. I, I maybe had just like a few not a uh, few knots of tailwind on my second jump today and I you know and I'm jumping like a big docile like basically like a transition between a student canopy and like an amateur skydiver canopy and I almost ate shit just trying to run out like a few knots of tailwind <laughs> so I can't I can't imagine uh I, I really I can't imagine 30 knots of wind landing a canopy in 30 knots I mean you have to be like loading that canopy to get any forward movement over the ground I mean it's you know for people out there that don't skydive imagine 
like running on a treadmill, but the treadmill's going so fast that you start going backwards. I mean, that's, you know, the, the air is the treadmill at that point. The air is the treadmill. Put that on <laughs> our merchandise. There you go. <laughs> so I wanted dude, to tell you this wild. story, dude. So I've been, I've been thinking about this for a while. This is something that like comes up, it pops up in my brain every once in a while, even now, you know, like 30 something years after it happened. It was this thing that happened to me when I was a kid. And uh, so I grew up hunting with my dad, you know, like in Texas, everybody hunts, everybody milks snakes, everybody has a bullet farm or a blasting pit, just standard for Texas. Uh, uh, so, obviously. Uh, yeah, the old snake milking blasting pit. <laughs> so, my dad and I, this is when I was six years old. My dad and I, uh, we were out at this deer lease that he had with a bunch of other people. You know, it's like this huge hunting area that, you you know, you share the rental with a bunch of other hunters. Maybe you know him, maybe you don't. But typically when you're out there hunting, you know, you're out there by yourself. So we're at this deer lease and uh, we're down in this deep ravine. It's like... It's kind of like a rocky bottom gravel. Like there used to be a river running through there. And uh, we're down there. My dad is like, you know, he's looking for places to hunt turkey. And he's like checking out like where you could build like a blind and things like that. And we're just talking, having a good time. And all of a sudden we start hearing gunshots. And we hear like two or three gunshots. My dad's like, get down, get down. And then from the top of the hill above the ravine, we hear this guy just screaming who are you and then was a gunshot and then who are you over and over and we can't tell if this is like shooting into the air if gunfire is coming our way and my uh my cloudy memory of the event that i'm sure i have uh enhanced over the years i remember hearing like ricochets i'm sure that didn't happen but that's the way my brain is telling me it happened And so my dad is there with me. My sister's there. And he's like, get down, get down, get down. So we get behind cover. Can you imagine your dad telling you to get behind cover when you're six years old? It's insane. So then he takes off up this hill. He has a hatchet because he's like chopping down trees. He takes off up the hill towards this guy with like a hatchet in hand. No weapon other than that to defend himself. And I remember seeing him like kind of like bobbing and weaving up the hill. And eventually like kind of goes out of sight. And then... The gunfire stops, and we're just scared, hunkered down, wondering what's happening. And all of a sudden, you know, we hear like, it's okay. So my dad had worked his way up this hill, confronted this crazy guy, and basically what it amounted to was, oh, hey, Mr. Evans, I didn't recognize you. So this is some other guy on this deer lease that not knowing who is at the bottom of this ravine, not knowing if, you know, there might be kids present decided to just start firing indiscriminately in his attempts to figure out who it was that was on this property that's rented by several people. And it's just such a, such an insane reaction to what he thought was going on. But the really like the part that really sticks with me is how, is how like brave that was what my dad did and how influential seeing that kind of bravery was on my life. You know, like as a, as a child, you know, I just kind of figured, oh, the universe will protect me. And of course my dad will do this. But as I got older, I realized like 
you know, the universe had no stake in protecting me and anything could have happened. That guy may not have been shooting down towards us, but the bullets could have still fallen on us and not everyone would have done what my dad did. And so like, that's a, that's a moment in my life that was highly influential in the way that I kind of see the world and, you know, kind of like instilled to me in the fact that like, there's a difference between like bravery and fear and those two things kind of exist together. You know, like bravery cannot exist without fear. Like you, ha- I'm sure he was terrified running up that hill, but he had like, you know, such a, such a stake in going up there and fixing the problem with his kids down the hill. Have you ever had anything like any, any influential occurrences like that, that just like had a major impact on your life? Um, none immediately come to mind, but I definitely, um, feel that like this that exactly what you said really rings true that courage or bravery is really acting in spite of fear right like i mean it's it's not the absence of fear at all like it is experiencing that fear and and uh acting in spite of it yeah exactly it's like suppressing your like animal instinct deep within your brain to just like huddle up and protect yourself and like put yourself on the line to protect things, you know, that are important to you, whether it just be your own personal safety or, you know, clearly like the safety of others, your children. And I've never been tested in quite that way, but it was a lesson for me that really never left, you know, like even today, I think about my dad, my dad charging up that hill into gunfire and just how, insanely courageous that was and you know that's it really has impacted me in a way that made me you know made me think about scenarios like that and made me kind of visualize what I would do and now that I have children just knowing that I having that deep down inside from you know my childhood I feel like and I I would hope that I would act the same way like without hesitation and so that I've guy to my dad like, about this, but uh, just real quick, that guy. I mean, was he shooting like at you, or do you? I mean, are you? Do you even know where, like, where he was directing his gunfire? It's hard to say. I mean, like I said, I imagined it in my mind of like ricocheting off the rocks around us. I feel like even for this insane guy, that would have been pushing a little much to just be you know, taking like aimed fire at random people at the bottom of a ravine. But like, even if he's shooting up in the air, bullets come down, you know? Absolutely. It's not like, it's not like being anywhere in the direction of gunfire is safe. You know, that even if he's shooting off into the ground near him, things ricochet. And so, you know, my, my dad didn't know any of that either. And that's why it was such a, just an insane occurrence to see him charging up the hill. Wow. I, I didn't even know that you could share land in Texas. Like I, I thought you just buy land. You put up those, the, the snake don't tread on me flag, the keep out, you get your Trump, Trump thing out. <laughs> and you know, you just, you just have the keep out private, but where are the dogs? This was a long time ago, Brett. The yeah, rules may have changed. I th- I'm sure they have. Man, that is wild. So, dude. so Dad, 
If you had just subscribed to the Content Clearinghouse, you could hear me say thank you <laughs> for being so brave when I was a child. Man, that's that's awesome. I'm I'm definitely gonna um, think it over, mull it over, and come up with a uh, a good dad story to to share. Because I mean, my dad is like uh, an idol of mine, and a little bit of a legend, Brett. He is a legend, and there's there's nothing in terms of like um, performing under pressure. I mean, he flew the A6 in Vietnam and he was landing on aircraft carriers in the Navy. I mean, there's nothing braver than that. Like the, the that pressure so that awesome. you're under, the fear that you must experience has got to like dwarf the physiological fear of a skydive. You know, that's like child's play compared to putting a, putting a plane on a boat that's like bobbing After in the you ocean. just flew a combat mission over Vietnam. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. All, all uh, the all the yeah. quote unquote brave stuff we do is still just playing. Yeah, well, I, you know, the one wheel. It, I, I feel pretty brave every time I get on the one wheel. <laughs> I, it's comparable, we, yeah. Landing on an aircraft carrier and riding a, a one wheeler. That's right. Basically the same thing. Yeah, I sometimes when I get out of control, I, I you know, I'm looking for that wire to catch the uh, tail hook on and slow my descent. But alas, the wire's never there. That's right. That's right. I actually, uh, real quick, I was returning some of the stand-up paddle boards that our group was renting in Grand Junction, and I saw in the shop uh, that the owner had a one-wheel. Well, I didn't know it was the owner's. I, I asked the guy, hey, has he got a one-wheel? Is that yours? And it was. And I was like, dude, I just got one of those. They're fantastic. I love it. And he literally said, be careful. Um, my helmet saved me. I went down on the one wheel and I had three feet of road rash on the left side of my body. And then his circle of friends, he's had multiple broken ankles among his uh, friends group, a broken collarbone, a dislocated shoulder. And this was a day after Byron, when he saw my one wheel, Byron told me a story about biking up to a guy in Denver on a Denver sidewalk who was laying on the ground bleeding from his head and foaming at the mouth who had fractured his skull. Like Byron is the first one there and called the ambulance and like told him to stay down as he was coming to. Um, Yikes. So no so helmet I, on that guy. No helmet. And I, you know, Oof. I'm fully, I got helmet. I got wrist guards. Um, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna not one wheel, but I mean, it is definitely something to be respected. It's definitely something I, um, am a little bit intimidated by in a, in a positive way as well though. Right. It's like pushing through or working with that fear. So hopefully I can work my way up to landing on, uh, aircraft carriers and then I'll graduate to, you know, getting on some private property in Texas (laughs) With a hatchet to confront a, some wild-eyed uh, guns. Gun it's toting. definitely a stepping stone. <laughs> Aircraft carrier, then facing down gunfire, then the one wheel. And what are you, some big dumb idiot that's not going to do awesome things? Yeah, of course you're going to ride your one wheel. Just be exactly. safe out there, Brett. Thanks, buddy. Well, thanks for sharing that so what's story. on your... Yeah. Yeah, no problem. What's on your content circuit this week? Uh, well, I did just uh, binge listen to a podcast by Wondery, 
Well, um, one of their one of the best podcasts that I've listened to from Wandery is Doctor Death. Fantastic if you're into true crime at all. Uh, but this one was called Guru, and it's about James Arthur Ray, James Ray, who was kind of a self help guy. He wanted to be the next Tony Robbins. I mean, he was well on his way. He w- he had um, been featured in the movie The Secret. He ended up on Oprah's show, and you know you'd pay. Uh, $500 to go to this event and then they'd sell you on this other event and you'd go to 2000 you know, a $2,000, um, you know, learn how to live your best life kind of event. And then eventually you'd drop $10,000 to go on this weekend retreat to become a, a spirit warrior of some sorts. But it was a very Sounds high profile case. On the up and up. Yeah. Uh, it's totally... It's, it's definitely as the tagline and guru is it's like the dark side of enlightened enlightenment, but it's a wild case, man. I mean, I think there was two fatalities. There might've been three. I know uh, the third was in serious condition at the very least, but it was from a sweat lodge experience, which sweat lodge isn't oh, even God. an accurate term. I mean, this basically was like a plastic tent with, uh, you know, boiling hot rocks and just, over a hundred degrees with people just like keeling over, passing out. And this guy, James Ray, just saying, you know, you got to push through it. You got to push through the pain. The best things in life comes to come to those. So, you know, that's the, that's the bad side of bravery. Like if you're pushing things too far um, and these people trusted James Ray, anyway, I could go on and on. It is a great podcast though. And it's a fascinating story. It's, it's very, very sad. And it's also very interesting. I mean, is it was he like like these people's life coach? Basically, yeah, and that was a big part of the court case was like, you know, why didn't you just get out of the tent if you felt like you were going to die? And as they go through, I mean, it's a it's, you know, that was kind of the defense's position in court, very valid point. Well, it, when you go back and you look at this guy's rhetoric, I mean, he was grooming people to put their trust fully in him and he was saying to them, you're going to feel like you're going to die, but I've done this hundreds of times, and this is how you achieve greatness, by pushing through this pain, right? So it was very, very interesting. I mean, it, it definitely is, um, it, it just shows how willing we are, especially when we're looking to improve ourselves, how willing we are to hand over our safety, hand over our trust for someone and then, unfortunately, um, that trust can be abused, and you have to be very careful about who you trust, especially in the self-help industry, because it, it seems like there's a little bit of good and a whole lot of bad in that um, that industry. I feel like that entire industry is a total sham. Like What I always say about life coaching is anyone who wants to be a life coach is automatically disqualified from being able to coach anyone how to live. Because it usually yeah. comes with either a scam. It's like you see it as a, a way that you can scam weak-minded people or people that are you know in a position of disadvantage. You, it's usually people that already feel bad about themselves. Or a lot of life coaches are people that have had all these troubled issues with their life and they feel like they've got it figured out and the way they're going to pull their own life back together is by life coaching. And I feel like it's just the whole concept is a total recipe for disaster. And 
Sadly, this is not like an outlier of a story as far as guru and life coaching goes. Yeah, I I hear what you're saying, but I also think, you know, I've read books like The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, uh, The Way of the Superior Man. I mean, there, there is some great like wisdom and advice that is kind of packaged as self-help. And I, I don't think you have to be like weak willed or weak minded to want to better yourself or like seek out that wisdom from inspirational people. I mean, the, you know, Stephen Covey, the seven, uh, habits of highly effective people, something like that. I, I did a whole workbook, uh, as part of a college class. I mean, I found a lot of value in that. Um, and you know, when you say well, there's like, difference weak, though, minded, there, I mean, there, there's just, there's a difference between uh-huh. life coaching and self-help though. I think yeah, there's a big difference. They're pretty similar. Because there's a I lot mean, of... That's a parallel path. A lot of really though. good self-help out there. Yeah, a lot of good self-help though, especially when you're coming from someone who's like highly successful and has a system. But I feel like when you start getting into the life coaching realm, that's when you get like these charlatans and these people that it's like, it's very close to like evangelical television show. You know, it's like, it, it almost always evolves into something that is not stand up. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough call. I think you have to take it on a, on a case by case basis. Um, you know, one of the things that this podcast addressed is the mother of one of James Ray's victims started a foundation, uh, an organization it's called seeking safely if I remember correctly. And it's, it's all about, you know, picking out the charlatans. It's like, and I haven't dug much into it, but I am curious uh, because I do think that there is a process for identifying who's like actually there to help you. And then who's there to take your money. Um, Because I don't think it's all bad. And I don't think that you can um, just assume that the, these victims are, are being preyed upon because they're, they're like weak minded. Like I, I think that these people could be in a very good spot in their life, but they maybe just want to improve this, or they may be really successful in one aspect and they might be struggling with something else. And, you know, there's just so, so many like psychological techniques that these, um, gurus or these charlatans or whatever you want to call them use that, you know, the best of us are, are wired to absorb these sort of techniques and to sort, you know, to open up or to maybe even get something positive out of it and, and to see some value and then be willing to hand over $10,000 to go sit in a hot tent and then end up dying from it. Right. So I, I think that there's a lot going on there. I, I just, I don't think that there's it's like oh everybody's a mark like these people are very good at what they do i mean james ray was like incredibly charismatic very intelligent educated and i mean you know you trust oprah right i mean it's oprah like she she is a very wise and successful person and of course she's not a self-help um guru that's not her only thing but i mean she is somebody that people put a lot of trust in. And so when she gives the stamp of approval to somebody, it's kind of like she, that, that person has almost been vetted by somebody you trust already. So I think it's, I think it's a, I don't know. It's, I think it's a little more difficult than uh, just assuming everybody that gets into it is, is just like um, a mark maybe. 
Well, maybe my thoughts on it are a little simplified since I haven't, uh, haven't had quite the same exposure to this content, but definitely sounds like an interesting story. I'll check it out. It's called Guru, right? Yeah, you got by, it. Uh, by Wondery. Wondery. And Josh, awesome. if you, if you, um, if you, for just three simple payments of uh, $400, <laughs> I can teach you oh, more. That is simple. About how to find the right people and win them over and change your life to create the vision of your dreams. I can teach you how to not get scammed. <laughs> just pay this real, get, just get in my really scammy payment plan. That's right. Well, dude, I found, oh man, I've been obsessed with this show on Netflix called Kingdom. Stars another one of my faves, uh, Frank Grillo, who is also from the Purge franchise, much like Max Martini that I talked about last week. But uh, Frank Grillo, he's in the Purge Anarchy and the Purge Election Year, which are points two and three on my six-point Purge scale. So he's like one of my favorite actors. But he plays this this uh, MMA coach, Alvi Kulina, and I don't really have any background or before now really in any interest in MMA or UFC, but it's kind of like, it's like a drama about like him running his gym. And then also like, he's got this like rough family, this relationship with his sons who are both fighters. And he's bringing all these like highly skilled fighters up to, you know, like championship level. It's just really awesome. And it's hard to say like how real it is as far as fighting goes. Cause I'm sure it's like, me watching a skydiving movie like the whole time you're just face palming because it's so hollywood so i don't know if it really falls into that category as far as fighting goes but there are a lot of people that are you know associated with fighting in it their guys are wearing like on it t-shirts so it seems like it definitely has some affiliation with ufc and fighting but it's a it's a really awesome show i'd recommend it to anyone that just likes just awesome television drama even if fighting isn't your thing that sounds awesome. I've definitely uh, gotten more interested in like UFC, and I I've never really been one to like fight or be interested in it. But I think it really was the Joe Rogan uh, podcast that at least sparked my interest. And then I have a lot of friends that are really passionate about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and I had like always wanted to take a class. And I took a class, and it was right before COVID. But it's definitely something that I would like to uh, maybe dabble in. It's kind of interesting, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's it's just totally out of my comfort zone. Like, just being that close to people is kind of out of my comfort zone. Getting their sweat in your mouth. Yeah. And it really makes me want to watch UFC now, because, you know, like, the, the way they talk about it in the show is like, it really is, it's like what Joe Rogan talks about, how it's like a, it's like a chess match, like a physical chess match where you're, you're always presented with an obstacle and then you're creating a response for it on the fly and then your response gets countered and that dictates your next move and the way they film the fights it really it you can see that like intricate dance taking place it's really cool so i might start watching a little bit of a uh, ufc too i've already been youtube and it's much more interesting just having a, a just a slight peek into what it's all about absolutely I mean, I think that's like anything. If you know just a little bit about it, it's you know, it's just going to be more and more interesting the more that you know. That's really cool, man. I'll check that out. 
Sweet. Guru on uh, any of your favorite podcast app player device machines. And uh, Kingdom on Netflix. Check it out. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a quick break, and then we will come back, and Brett's going to get into some content. The Content Clearinghouse is brought to you by Best Maps Ever. They make checklist posters for outdoor adventurers who want to see it all. If you want to visit every national park in the United States, climb every 14er in Colorado, or ski every slope in New England, Best Maps Ever posters are the perfect way to track and inspire your quest. Every map is lovingly designed with icons marking each location so you can stick a pin in the icon or color it in with a marker as you check off the areas you've been to. They offer mounting and framing services for maps that are ready for pinning right out of the box, or if you prefer to mount the map yourself, there are tips on the website to help you with that. They have a slew of maps relating to protected areas and public lands like state parks, national forests, and even more obscure maps like the National Wild and Scenic Rivers system. So Josh, one of the maps my wife and I have mounted in our camper is the National Parks map. Now, it's covered in pins because, well, you know, Bree and I get around. And Best Maps Ever makes our gallivanting around the country even more fun because we can put a pin in the map to prove that we've been there and done that. No one could ever cheat that system, Brett. Well, it is on the honor system. Best Maps Ever does not employ any sort of pin-related security system that will come to your house and check and see if you've actually visited the places you've pinned. (gasps) Since you brought it up, I have uh, the skydiving drop zone map hanging up in my office. It's one of the few decorations I have that's not celebrating one of my many athletic achievements. In fact, it's hanging up on the wall right next to my world's most humble man trophy. For all your cartographic needs, visit bestmapsever.com. They've got the best maps ever. Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. Brett, I kept you in the dark last week, and you've done the same to me. So what are you talking about today? Well, I really hope that this content piece is going to be music to your ear holes. Uh, That might be a little bit of a hint as to what I'm going to talk about. Talking about ear holes, huh? That's right. Uh, The marketing campaign for this movie literally had a tagline that was an epic of epic epicness. Do you know what I'm talking about yet? (laughs) I have no idea. Okay, so let me ask you a question. What do you get when you combine Captain America and Captain Marvel of the MCU, April Ludgate from Parks and Rec, George Michael Bluth without the banana stand, and the very talented Big Gulp Cup Drummer from Pitch Perfect? I don't know if you're a fan of that movie like I am. Now you bind those. I actually do like Pitch Perfect. <laughs> it's very good. It's very good. I'm so glad you said that. So you you bind all those characters together with the writing and directing uh, from the the genius that created Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, World's End, and then you get the cinematographer for the Matrix to capture it all. What am I talking about? I, dude, this is not ringing any bells, but all of those sound like a recipe for success to me. Absolutely. So the movie I'm talking about is Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Oh, yes. <laughs> dude, so I, good. I love this movie. 
All right, it is one of those movies that just totally defies genres. Um, it's one that has like kind of been on the back burner for me since we started this podcast. I mean, it's it's one of those like sleeper movies for me. Um, that I I don't know. It's not like The Matrix. Like you don't talk about it every week. Like if you're me, you you quote The Matrix every week. You know, or I don't know. It's a lot of the content we've we've discussed. I feel like comes up a lot for us. Scott Pilgrim versus the world it, is not one of those movies for me. Yeah, this is like you said, a sleeper. Like it's this is one that's like deep down in the recesses of my mind, knowing that I've seen it, but I haven't seen it in so long. Like the the first thing that comes to mind with me is like literally a living comic book or a living video game with Absolutely. all the the insane editing and like the overlays with like sound effects on the screen and stuff. Yeah. It's it's really yeah. unlike anything I've ever seen before or since. 100%. I absolutely. And I you know, on that note too, there's been a lot of uh graphic novel or comic book adaptations, but I don't think that there's ever been one that has been um so successful in just like the way that this was pulled off. I mean, of course, you could talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, but I you know, I just don't put that in the same boat. Like those that is that is really a superhero uh, franchise and think of all the failures that that franchise had to have all the crappy movies that we got um, until they really found their stride and then think of all the comic book adaptations I mean Sin City is a really good example of one that is like straight out of a comic you know a graphic novel and it's like the graphic it looks novel just like the book exactly I mean it's like a storyboard for the movie but like Sin City I don't know it's I'm not a fan it's it's just kind of blah um, not I like those books growing up. So yeah, okay. The spectacle so you... of watching Sin City, like just seeing you know like Frank Miller's artwork brought to life in that way, was uh, it, I really liked it a lot. But you know that that story, Sin City, it's just like so heavy and hard and dark. And Scott Pilgrim is just like it's really something anyone can enjoy. I agree, one hundred percent. But one of I think one of the reasons. Um, that this really like struggled as a movie. I mean, this was essentially a box office flop, um, despite having really Tragedy. good reviews. Yeah, it had a eighty-two percent on Rotten Tomatoes on the the um, critic score, the Tomato Meter, eighty-four percent audience score. It's pretty good, but I think because it was such a genre-defying, unique movie, I think that led to it being a flop. But um, it's a there's an interesting story behind that. We are going to get a little bit into that it does make sense that it was a that it kind of flopped at the box office but what does not make sense is that there there's not more people that uh just love this movie like i do in fact when i mentioned to brie that this is the movie that i was covering i mean she told me straight up that she had no idea that i loved this movie so much and i was like really i mean this movie honestly might be in my top 10 maybe like top 20 uh for sure like top favorite movies of all time desert island movies absolutely i mean at the rewatchability for sure and when i was doing some research for this episode i mean i found out that scott pilgrim versus the world is um considered a bit of a cult film which by definition means it's obscure and it's unpopular with mainstream audiences so yeah you have this like little um 
this the smaller fan base that's dedicated it's it's passionate but i honestly was like surprised to hear it didn't have more of a mainstream following because i just assumed i just kind of projected my own opinion and thought everybody loved this movie well i love it so you that's... got at least one person right <laughs> your your opinion's the only one that matters to me josh <laughs> <laughs> And everyone out there in podcast land, we love everyone, and your opinion is so great. We respect it. Thank you for listening. <laughs> That's well, well, uh, nice swerve there. Nice swerve. <laughs> so, I'm my infatuation. I mean, it's like the way Scott Pilgrim pines away for for Ramona. This is how I feel about this uh, this movie. So, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. It's a 2010 action comedy romance. It is co-written, produced, and directed by Edgar Wright. Um, fantastic. And of course, as we've mentioned, it's based on the graphic novel series by Brian Lee O'Malley called Just Scott Pilgrim. So the graphic novels themselves are very popular, well-loved. Uh, there's six volumes of them. So this movie stayed true, basically, to the plot of their source material. But they really, I mean, Edgar Wright did a just a masterful job of condensing it he did it was very effective he basically fit six graphic novels into one uh you know uh well paced and perfect length film it's definitely not one of those mcu movies where your like butt is sore and you you have to have an intermission such a good uh, sore though love the mcu it is true i don't know why i'm talking about i didn't so much on this episode i didn't want in game to ever end, so I was I was down. With it. I I brought an extra water bottle just to pee in, so I wouldn't have to get up. <laughs> oh boy! And then like um, 127 hours, you um, James Franco's character, you could just recycle that water, and you were just becoming yeah exactly like your own uh, source of water, and that's disgusting. Perpetual uh, motion machine, baby. <laughs> oh boy. So let's talk about the plot real quick. I don't know how much you remember, but Scott Pilgrim is played by Michael Sarah. Uh, he's a bass guitarist in a garage rock band, and he's also kind of an asshole. Uh, he's one of those dudes that girls tend to like, but there's this, you know, he just kind of doesn't give a shit. But there's this aloof and uninterested girl. This one girl, as, as the text on the screen says, she's she's stylish. She's kind of funky. Uh, she's kind of, she's like not showing her personality, especially at the beginning. Uh, she's Ramona Flowers, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and she, and she just skates right into his heart and his mind. He becomes infatuated, obsessed. He just instantly falls head over heels. But the catch isn't is she Ramona. like the delivery driver? For like his, he orders a package or something. Isn't that how yes. it goes down? Yes, correct. Yeah, well, that comes into play a little bit later. But they kind of like uh, uh, first meet at it, at this party, and it's just one of my one of my favorite scenes. I mean, it, the funny thing about this movie is I have so many favorite scenes. It's like from start to finish, every scene is my favorite scene. They just they just stitched all my favorite scenes together into one film. But Ramona, the, the the problem is she has more baggage than a 747. Um, that's not really true. I just wanted to throw an aviation reference in there. But she she has like the average. It's not that much lately with 
with yeah. COVID. <laughs> That's can't fill the plane. I, well, maybe not with people, but there's still a lot of still a lot of actual baggage coming Good in from point, Brett. Yeah, Amazon. It's all those packages I've been buying. Those accessories for my one wheel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fenders aren't going to ship themselves. That's right. I'm tired of getting dirt on my shoe. So, um, she has this uh, this this army of exes, and th- these exes will stop at nothing to eliminate uh, Scott from Ramona's list list of suitors. So, if you want to if you want to be with R- Ramona, you got to battle. You got to defeat her her uh, evil exes. And it, very it, video gamey. Very, very much so. And it, and it's you know, but I, I, I don't want to build this as a video game movie. I mean, it, it definitely draws. No, it's not. Right. It, it's it's huge inspiration from that. But I want to get away from that a little bit, and I want to like, I want to encourage this movie to be enjoyed by people that maybe aren't into video games. I mean, it's just like such it has such a great style, and it's so unique. And if you just, I mean, if you like filmmaking. If you like awkward comedy, if you like any kind of comedy, and plus we've we've all had that awkward phase of going from high school into college and kind of like this this weird growing up uh, where you're just like not quite a kid anymore, but you're also not quite an adult and you're trying to find yourself. And this that awkward phase is the one that Scott Pilgrim kind of uh, is in the middle of during this movie and we definitely see some growth and this movie isn't just about like crazy zany action scenes it's it's not really uh, a romance either uh it's really about dealing with baggage and it's about bettering yourself i mean there there is a lot going on in this movie i think it has great storytelling well lay it on me i I am interested to hear a breakdown of it because it's been a while since I've seen it, and most of my memories are just, you know, like a crazy snapshot of Captain America grinding down a right. handrail, or like, oh, dude, or like uh, the sword fight at the end. You know, it's not like a, a lot of these story details are a little fuzzy because it's been, despite me claiming to love it so much, it's probably been, yeah. you know, seven, right. eight years since I've seen it. Absolutely. Well, I'm part so of the you- problem, is what I'm saying. This is why. It, was not received better at the box office because I didn't go see it five times. <laughs> right. So Scott in this band, I you know, I think he's kind of like, he's definitely out of high school. I think he's like an early 20s, living on his own, kind of finding himself. I mean, he has uh, hobbies. He has interests, especially in music. But I think he's also like try- trying to be cool. You know, like we've all had that phase where we're like trying to be confident with something. And they definitely have a little bit of dialogue that kind of shows his backstory with just like maybe he doesn't treat his girlfriends very well. They He's referenced as like a lady killer. But it, he has... Knives chow. Knives is infatuated with him for sure. But he's just kind of disinterested until this this more kind of nuanced or mature girl uh, appears to him. And all of a sudden, he's he's just love struck. And I, I mean, have you? Do you remember a, a time in your life when you just like really felt lust for the first time for another person, and you just like couldn't stop thinking about them? Yeah, of course. It's like hardwired into 
a boy, 17, 18-year-old boy, just like absolutely drives every action in your mind. Yeah, and, and I, I don't so know I, about you guys, but when I was that age, lust is about as far as it went because I was not right, cool. right. And I and and so I think this film like captures that feeling really well. I mean, to the point where he's like, okay, you know, I really want to be with you, but you have this past, and I have to like navigate these tumultuous waters, and and they kind of like have to work with each other. And they kind of have to figure out how to proceed. And so you do see moments of vulnerability. I mean, they just kind of seem like very like deadpan, straight faced. And I think that's for not only comedic effect, but you see this sort of like character arc where they start to communicate a little bit better. They start to talk to each other like adults. They start to be honest about uh, some of their self-confidence issues, especially on Scott's side. And then you, you... literally see him like battle his own demons and find this like happy this happy place but it's not like you know and i don't want to get too much into spoiler territory but this resolution isn't this um you know they ride off into the sunset it's not an endless love it's not a forever love this is more like um you know that same period of time in your life and you're maybe early 20s where you make that transition from pre-adolescence into adulthood and it's kind of like this this like maturity of the relationship and acknowledging like this self-respect and this respect for the other person and i just but it's it doesn't seem like it's about this it's just on repeated viewings and reflection i mean there's i feel like there's a lot to explore this movie or in this movie, but uh, let me talk about some of my favorite moments, though. So, uh, you probably remember this. I This, to me, just implanted itself into my mind, and this is the moment that I really knew uh, I was in for a wild ride with this film, but uh, Scott, it gets an email from Matthew Patel. It's Ramona's first evil ex, and in the email... Uh, Matthew Patel is warning Scott about this impending fight that's coming. And Scott's like reading it aloud and he's like, okay, you know, uh, we're going to duel. It's a fight to the death. This is, and there's this dramatic music. This is, he's like, this is boring. And he just kind of (laughs) like goes, goes on with his life. And then when they, Scott and Matthew Patel finally come face to face, and this is his first fight with Ramona's evil ex, uh, Matthew Patel literally breaks into this song and dance number and then summons these incredibly unsettling demon hipster chicks. Do you remember this at all? They have like these sharp, jagged teeth. They're floating in the air. I don't remember what that looks like. Oh, my god! Making me want to check the movie out again, though. When, when that moment ha- happens, it goes from this like, w- like just off-ball deadpan comedy to like, Okay, I'm very confused. This is chaotic. What is happening? And if if you're not sold on this movie at that moment like I was, just keep watching because it is it is a little shocking when that happens. Like I feel like it really throws you for a loop, but it sets up the rest of the movie so well. I'm looking them up right now. They look like like succubi. Yeah, for sure. Demon hipster chicks, man. Can't live, yeah, with, exactly. can't live without them. 
um, with them at all. Or <laughs> right. Hopefully they don't exist because they're terrifying. So Matthew Patel, uh, at the end of this fight, he dramatically explodes into a bunch of gold coins, very much like a video game. <laughs> video um, game. See, this yeah, is what I'm saying. This is I not know. a video game movie, but right. most video game movies are like total dog shit. But they, they like expertly pull off the video game, the structure. You know, it's like his exes build from like, you know, this guy, Matthew Patel, he's like the easy one. And then they get more and more exactly. increasingly difficult to defeat until, you know, he has the big standoff at the end with Gideon. Yep. And it's just like the, the final it's, boss. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then like, you know, as, he, as he's progressing through, it's like he's moving through like a different level. So they made a video game out of it. It just fits the mold perfectly, but it's not right. bound by that mold. It's still like exactly. its own thing. Exactly. You get it. So I get it. I like it, even though I didn't watch it five times in the theater. <laughs> so light at the end of this scene, after this dramatic explosion, this epic of epic epicness, uh, Michael Sarah just like bends down and it's just like, oh, sweet coins. It just like starts picking up the <laughs> coins. And it's those little moments that Edgar Wright, I mean, he is one of these perfectionists when it comes to this craft of filmmaking that I clearly don't know anything about. Um, but you can just sense like the the perfection in the in the pacing of the comedy, and it and Michael Sarah's right so good at deadpan. Scene. So good. he just like delivers it all so so perfectly. Like yeah, it's so funny because he's like not reacting the way a normal person would. Absolutely. I mean, the, there's another point where um, he one of the evil exes. Uh, he it was actually so Michael Sarah's character Scott Pilgrim comes face to face with one of his own exes, and so there's this kind of moment of like, oh, it's not just Ramona that has baggage; like we all have baggage; like we all have to like work with each other and with each other's past. But it's it's somebody played by Brie Larson, and she's like in this successful band, but there's a vegan in the band. And at the end of the battle, he has this like whole thing where he says, you once were a vegan, but now you will be God. And it like doesn't really quite rhyme, but it, it's delivered so, so perfectly. <laughs> it's so funny. And then as you mentioned, Chris Evans, he plays Lucas Lee. He's kind of this like action movie star, skateboarder, like, oh my God. I mean, this is literally His Captain skateboard America. grind is like, yeah. isn't it like, 500 stairs going down it's, the handrail it's like more ridiculous than tony hawk pro skater like playing the video game and that's what's like so funny about this is you know the ridiculous stunts you could pull off on tony hawk pro skater the video game it, they still look realistic like you want to make a video game look as realistic as possible that's the goal this is trying to go over the top and it's not <laughs> trying to look realistic at all but Sorry, Chris so Evans, great. Oh my god. He is he is so fantastic in this movie. So there's so this, dreamy. Oh, Chris. There's this uh this juxtaposition, and you know how much I like juxtapositions. But it's your just behind Yuval Noah Harari, it's your favorite <laughs> word. <laughs> I'm right. surprised it's never come up on the show before. Juxtapositions? Yeah. Yeah. I've been I've been trying to uh I don't know. Find some new words in my vocabulary. I heard sanguine. save it up. 
Sanguine Ooh. on a Sam Harris podcast recently. I'm like, how can I work sanguine into a sentence today? <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> into, Just did it. How can I work sanguine <laughs> in 18 times before I go to bed tonight? That's right. So there's this juxtaposition between these like epic scenes, these the the style of it, these sounds, these effects, these fights, but the 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 comedic moments that I'm talking about, they're so subtle, they're so understated, and they're not they're not really jokes. They're more like moments. They're like snippets, and they just really land just perfectly. So I would consider this more of a comedy in than anything else. Yeah, it's definitely I mean Edgar Wright, I mean, of course it's going to be a hilarious comedy. But then Absolutely. it I mean, it's also got like aspects of a musical which is usually like kind of lame, but they just like totally nail it with this too, like with all the songs just being like total bangers. Totally. And you know, that's a really interesting point. So, um Edgar Wright I I feel like can sometimes be known for making um, almost parodies. I mean, they're not parodies like you'd like Naked Gun or like Airplane. But when you look at Hot Fuzz, or when you look at Shaun of the Dead, I mean, th- that's a parody of a zombie movie, or that's a parody yeah, of it's a like cop a parody movie. deconstruction of a genre. Absolutely, and it, and they're and they're fantastic. But I really feel like with Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, this was his first movie that was not really parodying anything like it it is a musical but it's not a parody of one it is a graphic novel like there's he takes so many different genres so many different inspirations and it's just so well crafted that it really shines as its own thing like it's funny but it's not funny by making fun of something else it's just like funny on its own merit a couple other things i want to mention easter eggs uh and cameos so the creator of the graphic novel, Scott Pilgrim, uh, O'Malley, and his wife, cartoonist Hope Larson, uh, no relation to Brie Larson, but uh, they can be spotted at Lee's Palace after the sex bomb come off stage. <laughs> sex bomb I can never say it right. They talk about that in the movie. Uh, the voiceovers for all the like video game voices in the background, they're done by Bill Hader. Uh, Edgar Wright told the actors to not blink during takes because he wanted to mimic <laughs> that so feel weird. of like Japanese anime. Super weird. Totally. Um, so real quick, I'm gonna I'm I'm practicing this new thing on this podcast. I'm trying to get personal, I'm trying to get vulnerable. So before Bree and I met uh, at the wind tunnel, of course. The, the same place that brought you and I together and so many wonderful people into my life. I was You're definitely coaching going, from your students. Yeah, right. I I was definitely going through like a difficult period uh, with relationships. I mean, I, I can just like flat out say like I was not good at relationships. You know, I, I did not have any evil exes. I probably was some people's evil exes. Um, I, I, I just like wasn't good at it and i and i i'm not saying that i'm good at having a relationship now but i'm definitely like scott pilgrim i'm definitely learning but right before i met brie i was coming off of like a very very painful relationship a very painful breakup it was kind of one of those 
moments in life where you're just like, ah, you know, screw dating. And like, I don't understand what girls want. I don't understand what I want, which was, that's what really was happening. But there was a hostess at John Hawley's Asian Bistro that I dated for like, I don't know, two weeks, maybe like right before I met Brie. And of course, as soon as I met Brie, I was like, okay, this is the one, this is the keeper. Uh, we really connected, but, but this, this like interim relationship, I really felt like I was halfway between this like adolescence and adulthood. I mean, um, this hostess, Tiffany, she, she was the only person I've dated that was younger than me. She looked just like Knives, who's expertly played by Ellen Wong. I don't know if you've uh, seen Glow on Netflix. I'm taking a side sidebar here. Have you seen the... It's like a female wrestling show. I've seen two episodes. It's very good. I love it. So Ellen Wong is in Glow. But anyway, Knives looked just like this this girl that I had dated. And I don't know. It's just like there's something about the like dynamic and the fact that they just look very much alike that really struck a chord with me or just felt like a reflection of of something um i don't know just something that i had gone through in a personal experience and then even more recently uh i mean much more recently that was over 10 years ago but brie and i were actually talking about exes and i i i don't think i'm alone in this like i think Everyone in a long-term relationship, like, I don't know, once every two years, five years, I'm sure it's different for every person. If, it, if it's more often than like once a year or two, maybe that's something you need to address. But I, I do feel might like be a little it, obsessed. That's it might be a little weird, but I do feel like, I don't know, once in a very, very long time, like past relationships just organically come up for whatever reason. And I, and I think that it's, important to just like let that happen and and talk about it and it's like part of the growth of a relationship and the continuation of a relationship but i i also think that as you get older you start to see how those past relationships and how having those experiences with exes when you know things both went well and when they did not go well and that's why they probably ended up on the evil exes list uh, those are the those are the things. Those are the experiences that prepare you for being a better partner, and for having a better relationship, and for communicating better, and for having more respect for the other person and more self-respect. Just like Scott Pilgrim. I mean, it, it, am I talking crazy talk, or are you picking up what I'm putting down? No, I think it's, I think it's almost a requirement for a healthy relationship that you are able to discuss those things because otherwise there's big swashes of your life that you're, you know, you're not comfortable bringing up, which it's, I think if you're in a position where you can't discuss those things, then there's probably some issues closer to home. You know, it's either if it's just jealousy or if someone is just like, la 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 la, I don't want to know that you ever dated anyone else. You know, it, right. like those are those are not signs of being in a healthy relationship, and right. of course you're going to have experiences that come up that just they may have been impactful or influential or they f- shaped who you were. Just they didn't happen to be around the person 
you're with now. They would just happen to, to happen while you were around someone else. And I think that that's, I think that's just, uh, yeah, that's really important for any kind of healthy relationship to last. And I do have to say that you really nailed it with Bree. She really is like pretty much one of the coolest people on the planet. So nice work, buddy. I love Bree. Tell her I said that. Bree, listen to the podcast. Bree, no, Josh Bob. loves you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think I think it was uh, Diana, our our sadly former neighbor, that mentioned to Bree like, Bree, I got to give you props on the river. You know, we're going through rapids. There's like dogs jumping into the water that we have to like rescue and pull onto our stand up paddle boards, and you know, it's just like there's just these crazy moments, and she's just like, man, you just you just like handle it like a champ. Like you are the captain of the sup, the sup crew, you know? And I mean, Brie really is like that. Like our giant badass stand up paddle board. She just kind of just bounces off the rocks, like a, like a pinball in a pinball machine, just like unfazed, just calm, cool, collected, whatever you throw at her, uh, both on the river and in life. It's just like steady, steady spaghetti. Total badass. Uh, totally. And, you know, I, I was just reminded of the time I had an ex that was shooting indiscriminately in, in the air, and my dad <laughs> had to t- chase her away with a hatchet. Totally I thought you were going to say Brie that. materialized out of nowhere and chased her away. Who, who's this person? Don't worry. We'll be married one day. So, so back to just these moments that I feel like reflect. I mean, obviously that experience that I shared was like, I don't know, not everybody's going to have that same experience, but there are these little moments in the film that I feel like will draw anybody in. Like when, um, Scott sees Ramona and knives, like talking to each other. And there, I think we've all like had a situation or, or I don't know. I'm speaking for myself here, but I've had a situation where you have like a current girlfriend talking to an ex-girlfriend or something and you're like are they talking about me no right like something really awkward an awkward moment like that or or people might find just this overarching storyline really um jiving with them in just the way like okay i'm not 20 anymore now i'm 31 and I can look back at this and see how much I've progressed and understand that like, okay, Scott Pilgrim had this like growing experience, but he's going to continue to grow because he's still this like pre like, I don't know, young looking Michael Sarah, like kind of immature, but just a little bit more mature. I don't know. you. So I feel like you can enjoy it. This movie, I think you can enjoy it when you're 17, when you're 20, when you're 30 and probably beyond because it's not just about the effects. It is about growth. It is about dealing with baggage. Yeah, it's it's layered. I'd say it's a I'd say it's a very mature movie as far as the editing, the writing, just the general creation overall. That you know, it's just it's the kind of thing that you could probably watch it a hundred times and find something new. And since it is so like layered and nuanced you can always find something that can apply to your life just because it's just it's just so complex definitely um okay so i want to get into why this movie was a flop because it's super interesting so uh it does seem too cool for its own good Uh, yeah 
Yeah, I mean, but I think they like poke fun at the like coolness, like having the hipster chicks, having the like vegan and like poking fun at him or um oh there's another scene that I, oh yeah there's a like secret password to get into a club and the password just like whatever and they let him in and then <laughs> the, the next one he's just like Ugh. and like that's the password you know just the, the, it's like hipster but it it's a cool be, indifference a is all it takes it, right yeah right exactly so in um so this movie came out in 2010 in 2008 we're rewinding the tape here. Iron Man had just come out. Of course, it was a smash hit. Uh, it, incidentally, this surprised Universal Studios. The uh, Incredible Hulk, also a 2008 movie, that was the film that they were banking on to be a smash hit. Iron Man was actually the gamble. Not that's quite. The, that's Oh, no? That, no, I'm saying it was not oh. quite a smash hit. Even though it is a good right. movie... It was uh, definitely a little bit of a bust. Is it good? I liked it. All right. But I like the Ang Lee Incredible Hulk also. Yeah. I, I thought mean, they were both awesome. It's just the 2008 Incredible Hulk did not kick off the MCU the way they expected. It really did oh, take no. Iron Man. For sure. But Iron Man, is the, that's the character you want to anchor the, the entire franchise on anyways. Yeah, but if you, you know, through the eyes of Universal Studios at the time, like Iron Man was experimentation, right? And so the Incredible Hulk, that was like their blockbuster that they were, you know, it was a for sure thing. So it's so course, strange that Iron Man was considered like a uh, like a, a D list character before the right. MCU came around, and totally. now it's like you can't even imagine Marvel without Iron Man. Oh, totally. Tony Stark and Iron Man. That's pretty much like that's that's the entire world now. It is. You know, it's just, it's it's really cool the way that the writing, the presentation could bring Iron Man, which is just kind of like a background character previously, up to the place of being like a superstar. Absolutely, and I and I feel like Iron Man has a lot of the same qualities that Scott Pilgrim versus the World does. Like, it has, I, I don't know, like it has this movie? like fun. Yeah, the first movie, exactly. I mean, it just has this like this great cast. It has great writing. It has these wonderful comedic moments. It has a lot of action. You know, it kind of like defies genres a little bit. Like you could even put Scott Pilgrim versus the World into the category of superhero movies. I mean, he's kind of like the fight totally. scenes. Everybody's like superheroes and villains. You know. So anyway, back to back to this this uh, story. So one of the strategies uh, Universal Studios had promoting Iron Man uh, was taking it to Comic-Con. So this was... Comic-Con was just starting to gain some real popularity, some real traction at the time. And so because they had this amazing success with Iron Man that they did not expect, and they had just, like, really pushed it and promoted it for the first time at Comic-Con, what I think happened, they confused correlation with causation. They they straight up thought the Comic-Con promotion, like, was the thing. Because uh, that was the buzz. It was like, oh, the nerds are, you know, buying tickets. Like, that's why Iron Man's a blockbuster success. So in 2010, they just pulled out all the stops with Scott Pilgrim uh, versus the world when it comes to marketing. I mean, they had huge billboards, uh, including the side of this high-rise Hilton hotel was just totally covered in spot, uh, Scott Pilgrim 
uh, ads and the, you know this giant like picture of him playing guitar. They had kind of these zany television ads. They had a Scott Pilgrim video game that they made, and this was all at Comic Con too. Uh, they took this entire area from the San Diego Convention Center, is like I think across the street or something like that. They turned this into a pilgrim room. They had a DJ spinning music. They had many of the stars, Michael Sarah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Anna Kendrick, the cup girl, uh, and, of course, the director, Edgar Wright. They were, like, screen printing T-shirts for fans. I mean, this was, like, uh, to steal a, a Breaking Bad term, no half measures on this. That's so, crazy. I never heard any insane. of that. Insane. Insane. Let me guess, though, the Comic-Con Comic Con promotion did not result in ticket sales. You, you are correct. Yeah. Um, one of the things they did was they had this panel at Comic-Con. So fans got this, like, Scott Pilgrim one-up pin. And then so all these different fans, I don't know uh, how they were distributed, but the, the at some point the... Um, I believe it was the director was like, okay, if you got a Scott Pilgrim one up pin, follow me across the street to the Balboa theater for the premiere of the film. So we're going to go watch this like super secret comic con screening. Uh, the fans loved it. I mean, people were like applauding and freaking out super cool. I mean, it's, it seems like a genius marketing campaign and universal studios, you know, they're thinking they're about to get paid. Like you said, ticket sales, man, these people are going to talk about how great the movie is and it just totally did not work. It was a complete uh, flop. And they weren't just promoting at Comic-Con. I mean, they also had your standard trailers out that still, once again, did not seem to carry over. So a really good theory I heard about this, even the standard approach failing, was that the studio was concerned that this video game-centric movie with this like young, plain male lead would not draw these big crowds out um, they were really only going to entice these young male video gamers so they wanted to bring in the other 50 percent of moviegoers the the ladies and so they released this trailer to look like a like a rom-com like a romance film and it just it it isn't that right and it, it and it translated really weird um and i think it's really so tough stupid to, uh, dude I, it, it's got to be so hard to cut a trailer uh, for a movie You know like that this. decision was made in a boardroom by a bunch of idiots. <laughs> yeah. But the Comic-Con, you know, not only did it seem logical, but it seemed like really hip and like really, uh, I don't want to say groovy because I will suddenly sound extremely old, but... Well, that, it's the rom-com angle, it just like reeks of desperation, like uh, a response on the back end. Yeah, I, but I mean, this was a this was a movie. They really put a lot of money into the cast, into the effects. Um, so they want. I mean, I can't blame them for trying to spend money, to, you know, or try to like tweak tweak things a little bit to try to bring that larger mainstream audience in. But like a sophisticated audience, which is the kind of audience that would be into this. I mean, they can they can definitely tell, and there's like some bullshit advertising going on, and that's like. I don't know. I just think that's a really lame move. Yeah. Yeah, it it's pretty interesting though. And um I mean it, it so really is a theory that that killed the movie? Or what well, was the 
just the release, basically. Yeah. 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 Like, was that that advertising killed the release? That that's kind of way? the the leading theory is that just like, you know, the Comic Con thing was a bust. The trailer did not translate well. Nobody really knew what this movie was about, and um, I mean, it just kind of was dead in the water. But fortunately, uh, like most great things, the content really does speak for itself. I mean, this content is excellent. Word of mouth, it wins the day. Ten years later, it's been ten years, and this movie is still talked about. It's enjoyed, it's discussed, and I think it's not discussed enough. And it really garners a lot more attention than it's had, even now with its cult following. So... Maybe is, we'll uh, yeah. jumpstart the conversation about it, get it back get on in it. The, the public purview. Get on it. I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix right now. Oh, is it? Oh, man. It's going in the queue tonight. Yeah. I might rewatch it again tonight. It's really good. <laughs> I don't think Bree's seen it uh, for, I don't know, probably like eight or nine years. So, and yeah, I'll, now's I'll, the time. I'm going to test my hypothesis on her. I mean, I don't think that this is a movie for people that just love comic books and superheroes and video games. I think, just like Brie, this is this is a movie for anyone that likes expertly created comedic bits that land when you least expect them because everybody likes to laugh. I mean, it's chock full of imaginative special effects. It puts the viewer into this kind of video game influenced experience i i will admit it uh but it it just doesn't make things look awkward or like too realistic it just embraces this format that it combines this animation with live action it's super effective and it's super fun and i've never understood the lack of mainstream appeal except for the just like insanity with the marketing campaign but if you're like me and you have tiny pre-adolescent wrists and you want to see some tiny wrist representation <laughs> on the silver screen, you got to check out Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. You might That's enjoy seeing... plug. You might enjoy seeing Michael Sarah's tiny little wrists and arms <laughs> with those little sweatband wristband things on him while he's literally punching people across the room like he's Thor. Um, who, unfortunately, he's one of the Avengers that did not make the cut in this film. I'm surprised his career took off. Yeah, me, me too. I would love a uh, a um, uh, Arrested Development, George Michael Bluth, Thor: The Dark World uh, crossover with Scott Pilgrim and Ramona, and you got to have knives in there, of course. Um, well, maybe the, yeah. maybe if uh, they get enough views off this recommendation, they can make a sequel for us. I, you know what? <laughs> I think that's a great plan. So, yeah, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. You know, uh, they say in the movie, I don't know what it is about that girl, but I do know what it is about that movie. It's good shit. It's good shit. If you, if you want some fast-paced sensory overload, you got to check it out. It's good shit. It definitely is. Dude, I'm, def- I'm going to go back and watch it again. I didn't realize it was on Netflix, but that is going right in the top of the queue. It's seriously, it's one of my faves. Put it in your content circuit. It's one of the Thank- the most fun movies I have ever seen. 
thanks for the breakdown, man. There's a lot of stuff in there too. That it, it brought back a lot of memories from seeing the movie, a lot of information I'd never heard before, especially the stuff about the marketing campaign, which is very fascinating. And I can totally see how a marketing misstep like that, especially if you're trying to appeal to like a hip audience could totally derail you, which is a bummer. It's like yeah. we said about like the purge. You can trust artisans to make this stuff, but you can't trust the guys with the money to make the right move. That's, and that is that's true. This is like another just glaring example of that. So yeah. thanks for the breakdown, man. Really appreciate that. And thank everyone for listening to the show. We really appreciate you guys checking us out. Please share the show with your friends. If you like the show, the best way we can grow the listenership is by you guys get out there and word of mouth in it. Like same thing with Scott Pilgrim, turn this thing into a cult classic, but we need your help to do that. You got it. Yep. Tell your friends, check us out on Facebook and Instagram at the content clearing house. Put a lot of good posts, preview posts, and uh, just ancillary information about the show out there. Check out our links in the show notes. If you're on Spotify or really anyone can find those at cchpod.com. Fortunately, Spotify does not forward our links to you. So yeah, check it out on our website. And uh, thank you guys. We love everyone. Keep listening to the Content Clearing House. <laughs>